Good morning. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders. I'll be reading today from a Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold with an introduction by Barbara King Salver. I'll be reading the chapter called April and the part called Sky Dance about the woodcock. I owned my farm for two years before learning that the sky dance is to be seen over my woods every evening in April and May. Since we discovered it, my family and I have been reluctant to miss even a single performance. The show begins on the first warm evening in April at exactly 6.50 p.m. The curtain goes up one minute later each day until the 1st of June, when the time is 7.50 This sliding scale is dictated by vanity, the dancer demanding a romantic light intensity of exactly 0.05 foot candles. Do not be late and sit quietly, lest he fly away in a huff. The stage props, like the opening hour, reflect the temperamental demands of the performer. The stage must be an open amphitheater in the woods or brush, and in its center there must be a mossy spot, a streak of sterile sand, a bare outcrop of rock, or a bare roadway. Why the male woodcock should be such a stickler for a bare dance floor puzzled me at first, but I now think it is a matter of legs. The woodcock's legs are short, and his struttings cannot be executed to advantage in dense grass or weeds, nor could his lady see them there. I have more woodcocks than most farmers because I have more mossy sand, too poor to support grass. Knowing the place and the hour, you seat yourself under a bush to the east of the dance floor and wait, watching against the sunset for the woodcock's arrival. He flies in low from some neighboring thicket, alights on the bare moss, and at once begins the overture, a series of queer, throaty, Peints spaced about two seconds apart and sounding much like the summer call of the nighthawk. Suddenly, the painting ceases and the bird flutters skyward in a series of wide spirals emitting a musical twitter. Up and up he goes, the spirals steeper and smaller the twittering louder and louder until the performer is only a speck in the sky. Then, without warning, he tumbles like a crippled plane, giving voice in a soft, liquid warble that a March bluebird might envy. At a few feet from the ground, he levels off and returns to his painting ground, usually to the exact spot where the performance began, and there resumes his painting. It is soon too dark to see the bird on the ground, but you can see his flights against the sky for an hour, which is the usual duration of the show. On moonlight nights, however, it may continue at intervals as long as the moon continues to shine. At daybreak, the whole show is repeated. In early April, the final curtain falls at 5.15 a.m. 
The time advances two minutes a day until June, when the performance closes for the year at 3.15. Why the disparity in sliding scale? Alas, I fear that even romance tires, for it takes only a fifth as much light to stop the sky dance at dawn as suffices to start it at sunset. It is fortunate, perhaps, that no matter how intently one studies the hundred little dramas of the woods and meadows, one can never learn all of the salient facts about any one of them. What I do not yet know about the sky dance is, where is the lady, and just what part of, if any, does she play? I often see two woodcocks on a painting ground, and the two sometimes fly together, but they never paint together. Is the second bird the hen or a rival male? Another unknown. Is the twitter vocal or is it mechanical? Another unknown. Up to what stage of nesting does the male continue the sky dance? My daughter once saw a bird painting within 20 yards of a nest containing hatched eggshells. But was this his lady's nest? Or is this secretive fellow possibly bigamous without our ever having found it out? These and many other questions remain mysteries of the deepening dusk. The drama of the sky dance is enacted nightly on hundreds of farms, the owners of which sigh for entertainment, but harbor the illusion that it is to be sought in theaters. They live on the land, but not by the land. The woodcock is a living refutation of the theory that the utility of a game bird is to serve as a target or to pose gracefully on a slice of toast. No one would rather hunt woodcock in October than I, but since learning of the sky dance, I find myself calling one or two birds enough. I must be sure that come April, there be no dearth of dancers in the sunset sky. And now I'll read from Frances Hammerstrom's book, Walk When the Moon is Full. Remember, she was Aldo Leopold's student and such a gifted writer. This is the April chapter of Walk When the Moon is Full. Shall we go for a walk? I heard the sound of a woodcock painting its mating call. The children looked at their mother as though she were absolutely silly. It's not dark yet, they protested. I know, she answered, looking intently out of the window at the fading day. I think we'd better get started right now. Both children objected. It's too early to go. Get your raincoats, dears. Raincoats, Alan protested. It's not raining. Hush down. Now let me explain. We're going to try to sneak up on a woodcock and watch it painting on the ground. You don't have to wear the raincoats. They're just to hide under. If we don't start now, we may not find a woodcock. It's almost dark. They headed straight for the abandoned field where dark pines and white birches grew. They lifted their feet high where the grass was deep and only slightly flattened by the winter's snow. When they got to the clearing where mosses and low sedges covered the ground, they stood still to listen for the beep, beep of a woodcock. Franz said, Listen carefully. I'll squeeze your hands when it's time to talk. Elva's hand kept squeezing and tugging till Fran gave the signal. Elva spoke first. I hear five or maybe six. One by the house, one by the barn, 
one by the machine shed, more toward the pond, and one right here. I hear one, said Alan, behind those two pines. If it's any comfort to you, Alan, I wasn't sure I heard any, but I saw one go down behind those pines. Who could hear the twittering flight song when the woodcock went up? Fran asked. I could, said Elva. Elva is the youngest member of the family, said Fran, but tonight she leads the expedition. We need her good hearing. When his painting stops and the flight song starts, we'll run almost to those pines and hide under our raincoats. When Elva says the flight song has started, we'll rush to where he painted and hide again. Brambles caught at their clothes. They scuttled when the woodcock's flight song started. But in the blackness of the night, they scurried too far. The woodcock, dark, small, and swift, swirled down out of the sky in a great sweeping arc right behind them. Peep, peep. He strutted on the ground by a big old anthill. And then, swift-winged, faster and faster in upward curves, he flew toward the starry sky again. Let me have one of your shoes, Elva, quickly. Why? Fran didn't answer. Elva handed her a shoe, and Fran ran crouching toward the anthill, leaving the shoe near it. Not until she was back hiding with the children did she whisper, Maybe he'll think it's another woodcock. And he did. He swooshed over their heads and lit near Elva's shoe. He raised his rings right over his head and dashed at it with little runs. He touched it, Frond. He touched my shoe. Swifter than a swallow, the woodcock swooshed past them and disappeared into the black night. It was time to go home and getting colder. They were glad they were wearing rain gear for warmth. They pushed past brambles and threw sweet fern toward the path. Gradually as they walked, the night got lighter until the faint orange glow of the rising moon guided their footsteps home. And that's the end of Fran's chapter about her ventures with her children. I hope you'll get out and hear the woodcock this spring. Get outside and use your ears. That's the best way to find them. In his writing, Aldo Leopold had some questions. One of them was, about whether the males breed with more than one female. And I found something on a good website that everybody who enjoys birds should know about. It's called allaboutbirds.org. Easy to remember. I'll read it to you. Some males display at several singing grounds and mate with multiple females. The female often visits four or more singing grounds before nesting and she may keep up these visits even while she cares for her young. The male gives no parental care and continues to display long after most females have laid eggs. And Leopold also wondered whether the twittering sound was made mechanically or vocally, and I see a beautiful drawing of the outstretched wing of the male woodcock, and the outer three primaries are so narrow that they really don't look like they would function with any kind of lift for flying. And those are the feathers that produce the twittering sound. I also wanted to thank the people at the Aldo Leopold Foundation for giving me permission to read this wonderful book and tell you about their 
beautiful phenology calendar. I have one here in front of me. The month of April is rich with information. April 3rd, tundra swans and house wrens begin to arrive. Tundra swans, by the way, are heading up to the northern coast of Alaska to breed and join their western tundra swan cousins in that same area. April 5th, prairie smoke begins to bloom. Peak duck migration, eastern and gray tree frogs and copse gray tree frogs begin calling around April 8th. Coyotes begin birthing pups around the 12th. White-tailed deer bucks begin growing antlers on the 20th. It seems like bucks never have a chance to be without the antlers, doesn't it? Whippoorwills begin to arrive about this time. They write on the calendar, Our vision is to weave a land ethic into the fabric of society to advance the understanding, stewardship, and restoration of land health and to cultivate leadership for conservation. I hope you will order a phenology calendar. You can do that by going to aldoleopold.org and you can order a calendar to be sent to you. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders. Thank you for listening.